Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. This is how to get started, how to get better, and how to front run the opportunity. This is Ryan Sean Adams. I'm here with David Hoffman, and we're here to help you become more bankless. David, how are you doing today, sir? Absolutely fantastic. Experimenting with a new model of content in the Bankless podcast. We're bringing an AMA bonus episode early in the week with Kane Warwick. These AMA interviews we do on Bankless every other Thursday as a live stream. If you are part of the Bankless Nation, if you are in the Bankless Discord, you get access to the Zoom webinar where you can ask Kane and future guests directly inside of Zoom. And for everyone else, you can check the live stream out on YouTube, both as a live stream and then also as a video, and then also now as a podcast where you are listening to it now. Yeah, and I should mention two of our sponsors who made this possible. The first is Ave, of course. Ave is a lending and borrowing protocol, fantastic protocol. You've got to check them up. You've got to check them out. It's a way to borrow and lend without a bank, the bankless style. Go to Ave.com to check them out. And also Polymarket. Polymarket is a place where you can use crypto to bet on your beliefs. It's a prediction market. Go to poly.market to find out more and start betting. Poly.market. So Ryan, what did you think about this AMA? This is the first format that we've done this AMA in. This is a lot of fun. We got a ton of community questions, fantastic questions from the Bankless Nation. Uh, I think we got to to many of them, though not all of them, and we just like covered everything. I mean, this is a this is a, a pretty substantial uh, conversation with Kane, and certainly we asked questions that um, <laughs> you know the, the typical guests might not have been comfortable with, but but Kane just went with it, and uh, I think he gave us a pretty good take on layer two and how synthetics is, is reacting to kind of all of this higher gas fee. And, you know, he talked about building in a roll-up, so building in a layer two outside of Ethereum. And we, we use the analogy of Manhattan being sort of the main chain and in Brooklyn being this new uh, kind of roll-up environment layer two that he's building in. Um, it was just a, a lot of fascinating stuff here. We got to ask Kane questions. I think we we wouldn't regularly ask him outside of participation from you, the Bankless Nation. Just a lot of fun. Yeah, what I really enjoyed about this is like everyone has questions about synthetics, right? And uh, like you, I, I found the the conversations around the layer two uh, coming innovations for synthetics really interesting. But I also enjoy the questions from the community that are kind of just like about what else is going on in the space outside of synthetics, because you know people want to hear about like what somebody like Kane thinks about things like yams or central bank digital currencies or you know ethereum 2.0 and and questions like those came up too so it's a fun it's a fun experiment to ask people that maybe you know everyone's used to hearing Kane talk about synthetics but what else does Kane think about because I'm sure he has opinions on on those th- those things as well so our regular podcast is going to come out Tuesday this week. We're doing this special AMA bonus episode with Kane today. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow's podcast is going to be with Charlie Noyes from Paradigms. Just a fantastic episode. We get into a lot of the economic security assumptions. In particular, talk about the question of whether Ethereum can be the global financial system, or even Bitcoin for that matter, without becoming a money. So lots of uh, interesting topics there to catch that tomorrow morning on the Bankless podcast stream. Our second two set of sponsors that make these AMAs possible. First is Gods Unchained. For those of you that have played Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh, those games are super fun, but they always have this 
kink with with how to own your actual cards. Uh, with with Magic the Gathering, you own physical cards and you can't play in an online form. And with Hearthstone, you don't own your cards at all. Blizzard owns your cards. With Gods Unchained, you own your cards on Ethereum as tokens and you can play that the game on your computer across the internet while still owning your cards. Really cool innovation. Check them out at godsunchained.com. And our second sponsor, Ampleforth. Ampleforth is a base money experiment where instead of having an elastic, uh, an inelastic supply and elastic price like Bitcoin, it's reversed where it has an inelastic price, but it instead has an elastic supply. So the supply of Ampleforth contracts or expands up and down based on demand while the while the price always tries and targets a dollar. Really, really interesting mechanism. Check them out at ampleforth.org. Let's go ahead and get right into this AMA with Kane Warwick of Synthetics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bankless AMA. We have this special AMA with Kane Warwick from Synthetics. Kane, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's been an interesting awesome. week. Oh man, it's been a crazy week. This is one of the craziest weeks uh, on record. So um, I'm just going to go over a few of the the ground rules. So Kane, this is an AMA. That means folks get to ask you anything. You know, feel free to pass on a question um, if you wish. But you know, uh, we don't want the Bankless Nation judging you from for, for skipping the hard ones. So hopefully, you'll answer a few of our hard ones. Um, now, um, as a reminder for Bankless members, you can ask questions in the Bankless Discord channel. So that's open to members. You can also ask on the Zoom chat. We are also streaming this live on YouTube for everyone else. Uh, and why don't we just get started? Um, since I am moderating, I feel like I, I get rights to maybe ask the, the first question. Um, Kane, what is the scariest question you could anticipate on an AMA like this, sir? Oof. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, that's a really good question. Uh, I think, um, probably the, the scariest question, uh, at the moment would be, um, you know, what are we planning to do for, uh, scalability? You know, it, it's, it's the most topical. Um, and I think it's something that, uh, you know, everyone's very eager to see solved. Um, and we've got some plans, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely an issue at the moment. Well, you know what? That deserves a follow-up. What is Synthetics going to do about the issue of scalability? You know, gas fees of 300 GUI are the new normal. So how does um, Synthetics adapt to that? Yeah, I, I, when I say it's the scariest question, it's because uh, I know the answer. Um, but if I provide the answer, uh, a certain person uh, named Jing will probably murder me. So um, <laughs> we're, we're working with the Optimism team. Um, We've been working with them very closely. As you guys know, we did a demo uh, of their L2 solution you know, a few months ago now. Um, we're pushing very, very hard to try and get uh, you know, some uh, sort of pseudo mainnet live as quickly as possible given you know, the current gas environment. So I can't give a timeline um, on pain of death, but it's <sighs> close. We're, we're working really hard. All right, excellent. Well, I'm gonna fire off the first question. This one is from Bankless member uh, Oboshi. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but he, he he's asking or she is asking this question. Kane, you seem suspiciously normal. How can anyone expect to take you seriously when your nerd factor is so low? I think I think the question <laughs> is, how are you so cool? 
the space is full of nerds. How are you so cool? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think if you actually spend some time with me, you might, uh, you might question uh, that, uh, that assessment. Um, I mean, you know, if you, if you come into the synthetics discord, we sit around playing chess most of the time and uh, making dumb memes. So, um, you know, I think uh, maybe it might just be the, the surface uh, appearance of coolness, but uh, it doesn't go too deep. So what is your nerdiest habit then, Kane? I uh, probably uh, probably sitting around playing speed chess or yield farming, I would say <laughs> these days. All right. Well, that leads to another question. And this one is from the Zoom. Yield on the topic of yield farming, what are your thoughts on this farming. week with Yam's rise? All right. Well, and then also it's demise. So this is like a, a you know, a 48 hour life cycle. What are your thoughts on everything Yam this week? So it was, I think it was Wednesday morning uh, and a friend of mine pinged me on Telegram when I woke up, it was about like seven or something like that. Uh, and I was just going through messages. Um, and he was like, hey, uh, it was Santiago from Parafly. He's like, hey, um, you know, what are you doing about, uh, yeah. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like this thing didn't <laughs> exist when I went to sleep. Like how, like I'm doing nothing about it, right? And, uh, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll have a look at it. So I like, you know, started looking at it, read the blog post and I was like, all right, fine. Like I'll YOLO in and like put some SNX in there, started farming it. Uh, and then, you know, uh, the next day, like it was the apocalypse and, you know, I was trying to scramble around and like get the SNX, uh, Spartans to kind of help out and, and, you know, delegate to try and, uh, you know, get that proposal over the line that obviously didn't work. Um, so I think now, you know, the plan is, uh, from what I understand to try and work out a way of like, you know, launching a V2, uh, have some kind of transition. Uh, but you know, there's a number of proposals, so it'll be interesting because you can't actually have governance now like governance has failed so it's going to need to be this like rough consensus which for me uh you know i'm, I'm probably uh preferential towards so it'll be interesting to see it play out now wait so does that mean you think uh yam 1.0 is not dead yet that there's still hope uh i mean the governance I, is eliminated i think i think yam the concept is not dead right like yeah. you know the transition from yam 1.0 to 2.0 still requires the yam community to kind of like come together right so it'll be a question of how do you coordinate that when the on-chain governance uh component uh has you know exploded so this is actually a question that um we're going to be putting out tomorrow in our friday open thread but it seems to me that the ethereum community is somewhat divided over yams so um, there, there's a whole chunk of the community that's basically like in DeFi community that's like, um, it was a complete, um, you know, sham. We shouldn't be promoting this sort of monetary ex experiment. Uh, you know, it was unaudited, unsafe. And there's another side of the community that's like, hey, we're all adults here. And, um, you know, this is a permissionless system. And the creators of Yam, like, uh, can't be held accountable for the rapid success what side of that debate do you fall on? Was Yams a net positive for Ethereum and DeFi or was it a net negative? I think it was a positive, right? And maybe I'm a crazy person, but you know, my view is I like experimentation, right? Now, typically, you know, in, in the synthetics community, we talk about doing like small experiments, right? So, you know, we might do like a four-week trial of like $10,000 in incentives, right? Um, you know, what's what I think we've seen play out. Uh, with a lot of these, uh, you know, initial uh, yield farming incentives is they start out with the intention of like, okay, we're going to put you know, even comp, right? You know, I'm sure internally they were thinking, you know, it's going to be a few hundred thousand dollars of incentives a week or something like that, right? And then it went from a few hundred thousand to tens of millions of dollars in incentives a week and everything blows up, 
So I think, you know, it is really hard to kind of constrain that because there is so much irrational exuberance and and excitement. Um, But, you know, I still have a view that uh, small scale experiments and, and, you know, on the grand scheme of things, $750,000 was, you know, lost or or locked. Uh, You know, it is a small, uh, a small amount, you know, collectively, obviously it's not ideal. um, But, you know, you're right. Like everyone is an adult. Everyone, you know, makes their own decisions, you know, self-sovereign money is, you know, a, a double-edged sword, right? You know, it's it's both, uh, you know, positive in that anyone can do whatever they want and negative in that people can do dumb things if they want, right? They can do risky things, so. Is it the case that um, you, you are pro-experimentation because it, it seems to be the case anyway, that's sort of how synthetics found its product market fit anyway, a series of small experiments. And if somebody um, said, hey, those experiments are not allowed, you shouldn't do those experiments. Um, it seems to be the case that maybe synthetics would never have found its product market fit. Is that is that a right way of thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not even if. Lots of people said it, right? Lots of people yeah. said it. Time, like, <laughs> you're a bad people. You shouldn't do this. Like, right. this, is a, this is a bad thing to do. Don't experiment. Like, it's too crazy and high risk and everything. And, you know, as much as we uh, were pushing uh, fast and iterating, you know, rapidly, uh, we have some people, um, you know, core contributors like Justin, for example, who comes from, uh, you know, a a large scale enterprise software background like MongoDB. Um, You know, he's not a lunatic, right? Like he's, I mean, he constrains me. I'm probably the lunatic in, in the group, right? So, you know, he's constantly trying to ensure that um, you know, we've got as much structure around this stuff as possible. Um, but yeah, if we if we weren't allowed to experiment, there's no synthetics. That's, there's no question about that. Let's stay on the subject of yield farming for a moment. So this question is from uh, Gintama um, from Bankless Discord. So asking what your thoughts are on how yield farming is evolving. So that's another kind of area that's has faced a little bit of, of scrutiny, uh, right? Now, I would say in some ways, you know, synthetics has been sort of the pioneers of yield farming, right? Like the yams, the the, the yam smart contracts were really a um, a fork of the synthetics smart contracts. But um, yeah, you know, at what point could yield farming start to uh, get get you know toxic or net negative for the entire space? And and how do you see it evolving? Is it evolving in a good direction, or what's like the next chapter of yield farming, like the 2.0? Well, I think it's it's kind of multi-dimensional, right? Like what we've seen is in in one uh, dimension, it's become you know more open and permissionless, right? Like we're seeing you know these uh, no pre-mine, no you know VC, no uh, team holding token uh, kind of experiments, right? And yeah. I feel like uh, the the community is much more forgiving of those sorts of things, right? You know, if people write some software and they deploy it. They don't get any, you know, privileged position within the system. They've got to participate just like everyone else. That feels sort of, you know, more fair, right? Even if it's maybe less fair from a traditional startup standpoint that like the people who create a thing should get some stake in it. Um, so I think that as we push in that dimension of, you know, more openness, more uh, sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, permissionlessness in terms of, you know, who can participate, it, it opens up the ability to do more experimentation. Right, because people are more forgiving of those experiments, and I think that that's really exciting. Because when you take some of these things, like you know, even I was just reading uh, about Based this morning, right? Another thing that like popped up last night, and um, you know, it's uh, I think what what it comes down to is uh, you're distilling the incentives down to their essence, right? And that's how we really start to see like what what is effective and what is not effective. Um, you know, so I think that these experiments, these uh, you know, crypto economic incentive experiments, are really valuable. 
Um, and, you know, we're seeing them play out and, you know, they're playing out in a safe-ish space, I think. You know, the yeah. scales may be a little bit bigger than we would like, but overall, I'm, I'm really, you know, I think it's a net positive. All right. So on, on the subject of experimentation, um, you know, YFI and the urine protocol has been a major experiment in uh, DeFi lately. So this is another question from Bankless Discord. What are your thoughts on urine, including how synthetics is being integrated with the project? I'm actually not familiar in what way synthetics is being integrated with the project, or if it is, maybe you could comment on that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's an interesting uh, kind of backstory to how this all came about, right? So, um, you know, uh, Michael and I were discussing uh, creating an SUSD pool, right? Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of uh, tension there about how we should do it and, you know, what was required in terms of effort and stuff. And the conversation kind of broke down, right? And Andre, you know, this is how good of a guy he is, right? Andre, <laughs> you know, came to the rescue, right? And like pulled, you know, said, you're both being idiots, right? Like, let's actually, you know, come to the table and discuss this. Like, this is a, a good thing, you know, let's make it happen. Um, and, you know, he talked to me. He talked to Michael, he brought us together um, and, you know, he got the SUSD pool started, the incentivized SUSD pool um, started. Uh, and so then I think, um, you know, that kind of meta pool that was created, the the uh, the Y pool, um, then, you know, took off and, and you know, grew uh, huge. And then obviously, um, you know, uh, Andre kind of left uh, for a while. And then I think when he came back, you know, and he started this uh, this new, um, uh, you know, the, the YFI, craze right um you know he took that same pool but he didn't actually use the susd pool because the the gas costs were too high and there was some other uh, friction around it so um it's kind of it's a really interesting story about how it's kind of evolved but my view is that again you know i think it's a really interesting experiment and this idea of uh kind of you know uh, i guess industrialized yield farming right of like you know really optimizing uh yield farming and, and ensuring that you're getting the highest yield possible is a really cool direction that we're seeing people experiment in and you know andre is the king of that by far yeah absolutely he is the king of experimentation and um uh yeah quite an interesting fellow so so check out our podcast that came out this week uh on andre it was one of the most fascinating podcast episodes um i've uh, dave and i've done um, on the subject of criticism, though, because Andre has been, um, I guess, no stranger to criticism, and it does seem to be the case that a lot of DeFi protocols, even you know Ethereum itself, have been criticized at the very early stage of the project um, as like this experimentation is is dangerous or this will never work and that sort of thing. What are your thoughts about some of the criticisms of synthetics? So this is a question from uh, Dor <laughs> Dorica. Um, the criticism on synthetics being a bucket shop or the possibility of a cascading liquidation effect coming from traditional markets, similar to MakerDAO in March 2020. I guess everyone remembers the Black Thursday event in March and the question of, um, is synthetics prepared for that? Or are there some, some risks in, in the platform that aren't immediately clear if there's some sort of a Black Swan type event, uh, another you know, Black Thursday March event? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a very high risk. Um, you know, and I, I say this all the time, like synthetics is still highly experimental, right? Um, you know, and, and it's kind of fallen into the same camp of these uh, experiments that have grown very large, right? Um, you know, and so when you have uh, the SNX market cap, you know, edging up towards a billion dollars, that's uh, a little bit scary. There's a lot of value, uh, you know, locked in there. And one of the things that we have as a, a kind of offset to that, I suppose, is this very high buffer. 
right? The collateralization ratio buffer, right? So, um, you know, it was at 850, uh, you know, a few months ago. Um, yesterday, interestingly, there was a proposal um, that passed to reduce it to 700, which I was against. Um, but no one listens to me anymore uh, in, in Discord. So, you know, that's just the way it goes, right? Um, so um, I, I still think that we should keep it, uh, you know, as high as possible for now. We need that buffer, um, even with liquidations. Uh, but, you know, people, uh, you know, are pushing for a lower collateralization ratio. So that's one way that we kind of offset that. The second way is obviously having liquidations. Uh, but, you know, liquidations are dangerous because you can have this cascading, uh, you know, failure. Thankfully, we've never got to a point where, uh, you know, the, the system was even close to the liquidation threshold. Um, you know, so I think that buffer is doing its job. Um, and the fact that we have like weekly claims, which force people to fix their ratios. Um, but, you know, as we saw with yams, interestingly, right? Like, so the price of SNX was sitting around $5, you know, 48 hours ago, whatever. Yams switches on. A bunch of people start buying SNX to farm yams because it was one of the highest uh, APYs, right? Um, price goes from $5 to $6. Yams collapses. Price goes from $6 back down to $5 again. You can literally <laughs> see like the, you know, so it's still reflexive, right? Like it's still highly, highly reflexive. So. I, I've seen people call that the yamplification effect as it was going <laughs> on. There's so many good puns with the yam mean. I, I just, amazing. Uh, I love yeah. it. Um, okay, so but but on that subject, is there a point at which uh, synthetics you you would call synthetics safe or like like reasonably safe for more retail investors? We don't feel like you have to like put caution tape around the entire project and say, look, you know, you could lose everything if you put it in here. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't I don't know how long it's going to take for any DeFi protocol to you know because we've got platform risk right like there's platform risk on top of platform risk so you've got ethereum platform risk you've got scalability you know issues you've got all of this you know inherent platform risk just in being on ethereum um, yeah. and then you've got the actual smart contract suite itself um you know which is complex and you know the, yes more time helps right you know in two years time but when you're upgrading that smart contract suite, every time you upgrade it, you lose a little bit of that, right? Now, some of the contracts stay the same, some change, but the interaction of those contracts, um, you know, is where the complexity lies. So until we get to a point where we stop upgrading the contracts or, you know, we, we kind of lock down the core of the system, uh, I think there's still going to be a lot of risk there. Got it. All right. So let's talk about uh, stable coins for a minute. So you, you guys have SUSD, of course, which is a you know, pretty unique stable coin that's going out there. But a question came in about, um, I guess, the other side, le less of a crypto native stable coin and more about central bank digital coins. What's your take on central bank digital coins in general? So it seems like the um, you know, central bank of, of China, the People's Bank of China is moving really fast in creating a uh, you know, Chinese central bank digital currency. It's likely that Western nations won't be too far behind. What's your take in general on central bank digital coins? My history of stablecoin predictions is littered with abject failure uh, to predict <laughs> all kinds of things. So I would not listen to my prediction uh, in any way. Like, you know, I was saying no, nothing like USDC can exist like a regulated stablecoin for years, right? Like all through like 2016, 2017, I was like, just can't happen. Why and did you bang, think that, you know, by the way? I just, I, you know, I, maybe I thought that regulators would be more skeptical of, you know, having something, having an asset like that. Um, you know, we knew that there were issues with Tether. It was operating in kind of this gray regulatory environment. I just thought, you know, if you turn up to a regulator and say, hey, we want to do that thing, right? But we want to do it, you know, under kind of some regulatory regime that they would laugh you out of the room. You know, it's, it's, it's amazingly impressive that, um, you know, the, 
sort of uh, center consortium was able to get that over the line. I still find it really impressive. Same thing with Paxos, TrueUSD, all the regulated stable coins. I think the fact that they even exist is is pretty impressive. Um, you know, obviously a, a central bank stable coin has a lot of advantages in that you know it is made by the regular you know the, the same regime, right? The regulatory regime that uh, you know uh, is kind of dominating that that particular country. So I think that. It's, they're more likely to happen. Um, what the impacts of them are, I don't know. I mean, my hope is that, like the other stable coins that we've seen, that you know it makes access to legacy finance easier and it creates like a, a you know a better bridge. Um, but that remains to be seen. Do you think it's good for crypto? It depends on what they're built on. You know, I think if they're built on like their own permissioned uh, chain that's like a fork of something, then like maybe tangentially, um, but I think if if central banks start actually issuing stablecoins on Ethereum, uh, you know that there's no question that's a, a net positive, right? That's a a big uh, indicator that you know uh, large entities like you know nation states believe that Ethereum as like the global settlement layer is a thing. Um, so I don't know how likely that is, and I don't even want to predict it because I'll probably fuck it up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's my sense. All right, so this is a question uh, from Crypto Muniac. So um, Crypto Muniac wants to know what the vision for synthetics is for the next few years. So the entire DeFi space is rapidly evolving. What's what's the place of synthetics in that space? What are the aspirations of the synthetics protocol? Yeah, so I mean, this is going to be a bit of an alpha leak, I guess, but you know, that's kind of the point of these things, right? Um, so I think you know, back to your earlier question of like, when do we get to a point where synthetics is not so high risk that you know uh, a normal kind of user could feel comfortable coming in and and participating uh, in the ecosystem? I think there's a number of things uh, post synthetic futures, um, which is or which are launching, um, that will help to reduce risk. So one of the things that we're uh, we're kind of doing some research on in the background is the idea of siloing uh, the different debt pools into asset classes, right? So at the moment, you've got this undifferentiated pool where you've got, you know, potentially equities, crypto, commodities, et cetera. Um, you know, when we talk to large scale market makers, they think that's crazy. And it is crazy, right? Like there's no question having this undifferentiated pool um, is, is pretty wild. Um, but, you know, it, it makes sense kind of for bootstrapping in the early phases. So one of the things we're experimenting with is this idea of separating out these pools um, the other is, uh, you know, when when we have some kind of open interest cap on positions uh, in the system to switch over to some kind of hybrid model. And we're also experimenting with that with options, right, where you've got the, the bidding period where, you know, it's against a pool and then the, the tokens are issued and then you have to go out to some other secondary, uh, you know, exchange, an AMM or something like that to trade the options. Um, so it's starting to experiment with a number of things like that, that I think, you know, it's going to take probably you know 12 to 18 months to see that kind of play out and, and get to that level of scale but at the moment still very focused on you know this core undifferentiated debt pool so we did a tactic recently on your new binary options that synthetics released how's that going it's going it's going well i think the thing that's missing right now is like the vertically integrated uh, ui right um, so you know one thing that synthetics has kind of not 
touched is this idea of bilateral trading, right? This idea of creating a venue for people to trade directly against each other. Um, you know, we've, we've stuck with this AMM model. And so what it means is that, okay, people can participate in the bidding period, but once it gets to trading, there's actually no place for them to trade. So what we're hoping to do through our, um, our grant style is fun. So if you're listening to this and you're looking for something cool to do, uh, building like a fully vertically integrated uh, binary options trading platform, which you know hooks into the synthetics protocol during the bidding period, and then switches to either you know an AMM like Uniswap or Balancer or something like that, or even uses like a some kind of order book uh, style mechanism. Uh, we think that that's going to be really powerful. And until we have that fully vertically integrated solution, I think you know it's high friction. So. All right, Salem, what's the incentive for them to build something like that, Kane? Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, funding, obviously, you know, the, the grant style will help to fund it. Um, the second thing is that we've got a program that's going to launch, uh, I think, in the next two or three weeks. I'm, I'm not 100% across all the low-level details, but it will essentially provide rebates for volume that's put through the synthetics protocol. So if you are an integrator or you have a DAP or you have a mobile wallet or something, um, you can essentially apply to join this program and get paid a rebate. So if you are you know, building this options platform, you can essentially get paid rebates for the volume that you put through the protocol. Gotcha. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about um, ETH2 for a minute. So uh, do you think ETH2 will have a big impact on the synthetics trading volume? That's a, that's a question that actually came in from YouTube. I think it's too far away to tell. I mean, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty around exactly how we will implement, what the transition looks like. Um, you know, our focus is at least, I would say, for the next two years on, you know, ETH1X, right? I think that's where the vast majority of volume will happen. And in order for that to be viable for the next two years, we need L2 scaling. So we need to be, you know, on, on optimism uh, on the OVM. So we're, we're still getting a lot of questions from Fez, from others on layer two. I just think it's top of mind because like we're, we're still dealing with these high gas prices and people are like, well, it's not even, it's not even worth withdrawing my yams if it costs more than, than you know, what I put in. Um, let, let's talk about that in the context of ETH2 first, and then maybe we'll pivot to, to layer two and DeFi. So in the context of ETH2, kind of my impression of the ETH2 roadmap is, is basically, like you said, like you know, phase zero is not going to help with scalability at all. Neither is phase one, really, quite frankly, maybe. Um, but phase 1.5, before we get to 2x, we have sort of this, this data layer um, that could potentially host rollups like Optimism. Um, is that going to start to be helpful? Is that where, I guess, some of the, the ETH2 scalability promises start to kick in, do you think? I think so, but there's a there's a big but there, right? Which is like, you know, the composability issue. And that's still the issue that we have with the, all of the L2 solutions out there, right? Um, and so, you know, we need some uh, sort of coordination mechanism for the existing DeFi protocols to ensure that, you know, we don't lose composability because if you lose that, you know, these experiments are going to be going to become much harder, right? A lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment becomes much harder. So let's talk about that because um, you guys are are implementing your solution in sort of an OVM, right? Uh, kind of a roll up. Um, what are the rest of the DeFi projects doing? Are you coordinating with them at all? I we were talking to Joey Krug um, on the podcast recently and sort of you know used the analogy of the main chain is is a little bit like Manhattan, right? It's getting really expensive to live there, and not everyone needs to be there. But a lot of people want to be there because Wall Street's there because, you know, it, it's got all of the perks 
of, of being in Manhattan, right? You've got great restaurants, all of these things. Um, so there's almost a, um, like a game theoretical aspect where it's just like, okay, maker, you guys move first and then maybe we'll move, you know? Uh, so no one wants to move from the main chain. How, how are the DeFi projects coordinating about layer two now, if at all, and how do you think we solve that problem of coordination to, to figure out what the compose, most composable layer two solution is and, and sort of settle on uh, you know, a set of those solutions? I mean, you know, personally, I'm a big fan of Brooklyn. Uh, that's where I spend most of my time when I'm when I'm in New York, right? So, um, you know, I think the plan is we're going to set up, uh, you know, a nice uh, area in Brooklyn where everyone can uh, come and hang out, and you know, you can come willingly or you can come by force, right? So, um, you know, I think that the the coordination is going to be uh, getting at least a few of the projects to you know migrate across, um, and you know, do it in a way that ideally doesn't break composability. So for us, what that means is minting, you know, the, the actual issuance of debt can happen on L2 without impacting uh, composability too much, right? It's the trading and the, you know, transfer of cents uh, that needs to happen, you know, on L1 for now. And so I think what we'll see is a phase transition to allow minting to happen, you know, at low gas costs, right? And then you'll be able to transfer those assets back to L1 and use them and then slowly edge our way uh, out of L1 onto, you know, fully L2 with the, the exchange and everything. I think what you're saying is basically um, you're okay with moving some things to Brooklyn. You want to invite some, you know, other friends to move to Brooklyn too, and then you're going to make Brooklyn so awesome that everyone else wants to move to Brooklyn too. That's the idea. Yeah, invites a strong word though. Strongly <laughs> suggest that they join us over there. Got it. So, Got it. Yeah. Let's talk about and, and guys, everyone who's watching this, we are about 30 minutes in, so that means 30 minutes left for your questions. Keep them coming via the Bankless Discord and also Zoom if you're there as well. Let's talk a little bit more about stablecoins. So this is a question from Joseph IT. Um, let's talk about SUSD. Uh, when it's over a dollar, how is that dealt with? Maker has had a lot of trouble recently maintaining its peg at a dollar. Um, how about SUSD? Do you, do you guys have some secret sauce for that? I think there's there's kind of two levers that we can pull, um, you know, the the strongest levers within the synthetics ecosystem. Um, the first one is the collateralization ratio. So one of the you know reasons why that uh, lowering of the C ratio passed was to ensure that there's more some supply out there. The reason why I was against it is because I think it's less about uh, the the C ratio. There's enough synths out there to get into the curve pool, get into some of these AMMs and, you know, uh, reduce the, the premium, um, which isn't too, you know, I think it's, uh, it's less than a cent, but it's been hovering, you know, around that mark for a while now, which is not ideal. Um, so lowering the C ratio is one way of doing it because you increase the supply. Um, the, the issue that I sort of see though is more of an educational one, right? There's no interface that clearly communicates to you why this is a good idea what the benefits are, et cetera. And so we're, we're in the process of doing a bit of a, a brand refresh. And alongside that, we're going to uh, migrate Minter, for, you know, the Minter interface to staking.synthetics. And that staking mm. interface is much more educational. It's much clearer about, you know, what your role is, what the trade-offs are, risks, et cetera. And one of those things is going to be to try and get more supply out into the market. And I think that will help to reduce the premium and, and get it back to the peg. Overall, how does a SUSD compete against some of the other stablecoin options that we were talking about? Like on the one you know, side of things, a, a central bank issued uh, fiat coin, or even a you know uh, 
uh, a um, CUSD or, or a, excuse me, a like a USDC or a Tether or something like that? I think, you know, there's this two broad trade-offs, right? You've got the, the very hard pegged redeemable assets like USDC, USDT-ish, um, you know, uh, TrueUSD, et cetera. And then you've got DAI and SUSD. And, you know, there's some new, uh, you know, types of uh, non-redeemable stable coins, right? Like crypto asset-backed stable coins coming out. Um, and those just have a fuzzier peg, right? There's more risk around the peg. Um, you know, it's harder to kind of keep them really tightly pegged because they're not redeemable for the underlying asset. So there isn't like a really tight arbitrage loop to, to bring them back to the peg. Um, but they have other cool properties, right? So, you know, uh, with DAI, um, obviously it's permissionless in a way that USDC and, and uh, USDT aren't, right? Um, with SUSD, it's also permissionless, but you have this cool property of being able to convert it uh, via synthetics exchange or via the protocol uh, to, you know, synthetic Bitcoin if you want, right? If you want price exposure to Bitcoin. So I think that there are advantages to the permissionless ones that, you know, trade-offs, right? Like mm -hmm. the, you, the peg is a little less tight on the permissionless side, um, you know, on the crypto asset back side, uh, but they have some interesting cool properties that, um, you know, if you're building DeFi are worth looking at, right? And I think for most people, you know, they, they kind of get those trade-offs. So here's a question that came in via Zoom. Um, what were some of the lessons you learned from the 2017 ICO boom and Haven's raise? Um, maybe that's the context of thinking about like, you know, 2020 is starting to maybe look a little bit like 2016. Um, so what things did you learn in 2017? And, and uh, what advice would you give for 20, 2020? So, um, you know, prior to Haven, I was uh, running like a, a fiat uh, payment gateway, right? And we worked with a lot of the exchanges in, in Australia. And so we were facilitating, you know, even back as far as like 2016, millions of dollars with the Bitcoin purchases, right? Uh, and then I think it was either late 2016 or early 2017, we enabled uh, ETH, direct ETH purchases for the first time, right? Um, and, you know, we saw a lot of demand and I got really excited about ETH. You know, I'd been, I'd been kind of following since uh, the DAO, um, you know, because this idea of like decentralized capital formation to me was really interesting. Coming from a place in Australia where we don't have a VC ecosystem, um, there's a lot of brain drain. So you don't have good founders that have been successful that are kind of like giving back to the community. There's a lot of Australian founders that are very successful, but they live in fucking San Francisco, right? They don't <laughs> live in Sydney. Um, right. And so, you know, so it's a, it's an issue that we've been dealing with for a long time. And so this idea of being able to like bring capital formation, the DAO was like the most exciting thing that I'd seen in a long time, right? I was, I was super excited about it. And when, you know, 2017 came, uh, you know, I was participating in ICOs, I was doing all that sort of stuff and, you know, holding ETH. Uh, and I think for me, uh, you know, it just, it, it really, it was probably like late 2016, um, I started thinking about, you know, how, how can we solve some of the problems that we have? And, and you know, in the other business that I was running, one of the problems we had was this like crypto premium um, that had kind of crept up like the, the kimchi premium that, that we saw in, uh, um, in Korea. And so, we, we were like, there should be an easier way to move money around, right? And so this idea of stable coins, I really went down the stable coin rabbit hole and, and that's what got me in. In terms of like lessons learned, I guess, you know, uh, certainly for us in 2018, probably is where we learned the most lessons, right? Like that was where it was the most painful. 2017, I think in a bull market, you just need to, you know, kind of uh, strap in and, and be along for the ride. It's in the bear market where you need to kind of batten down the hatches and, and really focus and keep building. That's, that's where most of the, the hard lessons were learned. So what do you think? Are we in a bull market? Are we heading towards a bull market? 
I mean, you know, ETH this morning, like hovering around 420, you know, it's, uh, I think we're getting close to it. Um, you know, we had that that kind of false rally back in, you know, July of 2019, where uh, things started to, to kind of heat up a little bit and then and then fell back. Um, my sense is that we're getting close to that. Um, but I think the big difference between 2017 and now, uh, and I said this a lot of the time, none of the things in 2017 did anything like <laughs> it would, you know, and even the things that were, yeah, okay, that's, that's probably not fair, but like, very, uh, it's very pretty few, fair. I think. Very, like very yeah. few, right. Very few of the things, uh, you know, uh, were real, right. Actually did anything. Uh, it wasn't until, you know, we saw the launch of like die, um, you know, we saw the launch of, uh, of a number of things in like late 2017, early 2018, where like real stuff started to, you know, arise that you could actually do stuff with. Um, and, you know, even a lot of the tokens, like, okay, there were tokens, but there were this like, you know, payment uh, chip that you could like use for some ecosystem that didn't exist, right? Like it was not real, right? Yeah. And I think now what we're seeing is that, and you can see it by gas prices, right? Like, you know, uh, we're seeing that a lot of stuff is happening. There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of demand for access to uh, L1. Uh, and that's just a very different, you know. So it, I think uh, to, to kind of, you know, to, to close it out, like, yes, it feels very frothy in, in the way that 2017 did, but it also feels more real than 2017 did by an order of magnitude. I'm gonna have to agree with you on that. I, that's, that's exactly what uh, what I think I see. Here's a question that um, AMA Dio is asking in the Bankless Discord, and he's linking an article here. She's linking an article here, Washington Post. I can't open it, but I think it's a story about the U.S. seizing millions in cryptocurrency meant for terrorist groups. Um, and the comment is they want to get miners to give assets over. I've not looked at this article. I don't know the news. So maybe this is sort of a general question on, you know, what crypto calls kind of the, you know, the final boss back to your fear like you were talking about earlier that, um, you know, governments would never let stable coins get away with issuing, you know, stable coins that um, USDC shouldn't exist or you didn't think it would ever exist. Um, how do you think crypto can survive the final boss? And do you think the final boss being the nation state will eventually crack down and turn its head our way. Are we just too small that, you know, they just haven't done it yet? I mean, I think it's possible, right? And, and you know, there there's certainly some component of like a race against time, right? Like the SEC is not the US government. They are different beasts, like completely, right? Um, you know, so the SEC might say, well, Ethereum is sufficiently decentralized that like we're not going to bother it. That doesn't mean that the U.S. government or you know, uh, or China or the EU or you know, someone doesn't you know decide that actually it is worth uh, you know trying to crack down and, and set an example, uh, you know, something like this. But I do think that we are getting to a point where these systems are open and permissionless, and shutting them down. You know, there were these kind of quaint theories in like 2015, 2016 of like people are going to go after miners and like going with hammers and smash all the mining gear and stuff, and like. Yeah, okay, fine. But like it gets to a point where, you know, and this is where E2.0 is proof of stake, where you don't need giant, you know, mining rigs and, and proof of work, where it becomes really, really hard. Like, unless we're talking like door to door sweeps of like anti crypto, like it turns into like a kind of crazy, like apocalyptic, uh, you know, scenario to really shut it down. Maybe we get there. I don't know. Uh, like crazier things have happened in the world, right? But, um, but I, my sense is that the cat's out of the bag. It, it's hard to, to kind of unwind this now. 
This is back to kind of the point. I, you know, the, the, the shirt and the movement says bankless, but I actually uh, don't mind the fact that banks are starting to, to join. The JP Morgans of the world, for instance, they just made an investment in, in consensus. They're building out their, you know, JP Morgan coin. Um, Coinbase itself, you know, maybe going public, they'll have sort of Wall Street buyers. Uh, it, it does seem like maybe that provides a layer of protection on the industry because crypto becomes more and more useful to the world outside of the you know, self-sovereign individual crowd that, that maybe we come from a little bit more. Do you think that's a, a protection for us, getting some of the banks involved in building on top of an open protocol like Ethereum? 100%. You know, so banks have this interesting property where they're these regulated entities that have databases that are money, right? Like they're, they've got these, you know, little walled gardens where like whatever they say happens in there, like that's money, right? Um, and then, you know, they have to talk to each other and the way they talk to each other is like nonsensical, right? Like it might as well be carrier pigeon, right? <laughs> and so, you know, the question is like, how do you wire these things up? How do you have like an open and permissionless settlement layer? And the hardest thing when you're dealing with legacy infrastructure legacy uh, you know entities and organizations is that they can't agree on anything they can't even agree internally on what they want to do let alone externally right so you try and get these consortiums together and it takes years and like millions of dollars billions of dollars and it goes nowhere and then the whole thing collapses i think if you forcibly move them onto this you know global open permissionless uh, settlement layer that none of them control and and it's wired up to these you know old school databases i think you get a really really powerful uh, kind of next phase in the evolution of crypto. Um, and I think it's kind of necessary, you know, so if you want to live in the ether and never touch legacy financial ecosystem, great, right? But there are people that don't want to do that or can't do that for whatever reason. And having Ethereum wired up to every single bank and being the settlement layer for all of those banks is, I think, inevitable and going to just, you know, usher in like even more uh, you know, interesting stuff. There's a, there's a funny story though about this. Uh, so Brian Armstrong tweeted, I think two or three weeks ago about how Bank Frick uh, in, in Liechtenstein, which is a, you know, a regulated bank had started accepting USDC as a settlement option. And I was super wow. excited about this. I was yeah. like, holy shit, this is exactly what we've been happening. waiting. It's happening, right? <laughs> Turns out not so much, right? Okay. So I actually, I actually took the time, I went and I got in touch with, uh, with the bank. Um, and I got in touch with someone there and it took, it was painful, right? Um, but I was able to get through it. And actually what happened is they basically, you know, they support, uh, they've got a brokerage partner, right? It's not even the bank themselves. They've got a, a partnership with a broker that you can send Bitcoin and ETH and they will convert it for 2% fee, right? Uh, and they'll settle it into the bank in, you know, euros or USD, right? So it's not that exciting. And all they did was add USDC as like an accepted cryptocurrency. So yeah, it's yeah. not even close to what we were hoping for. So like, I was really excited. I thought we had like kind of bridged that gap, but we're not there yet. So there's still a bit of work to be done. Yeah, you gotta, sometimes you gotta dig behind the headlines and see what's really happening, what's really going on. But um, it is interesting because I'm not sure all the banks will survive this transformation, right? So DeFi, it seems to me, is disruptive to banks the way that the communication protocol of the internet was disruptive to media companies like newspapers and such. And some of them adapted, some of them are still around, many of them are not. Many of them just couldn't um, cross the chasm and bridge the gap. And so I think many banks are just stuck with their existing uh, models and it'll be very hard for them to see kind of this new paradigm. I have a question that came in a bankless discord from QAZ. This is a bit more specific to synthetics. 
when can we expect limit stop loss stop limits in other advanced order types on the synthetic exchange? Um, so this is a story of decentralization, I suppose, right? So we uh, we put out a grant style um, RFP uh, to a bunch of groups to build a limit order functionality because we just didn't have the capacity uh, to to work on it as a part of our core roadmap. Um, and so a team stepped up uh, and they built it. But unfortunately, you know, the complexity of the the synthetics contracts is such that uh, you know when we went to actually deploy it, which was a couple of weeks ago, the contracts themselves worked, but the actual uh, infrastructure for uh, for you know acting as a relayer uh, just wasn't capable of handling the through handling the throughput um, that we needed, and so uh, we've had to put another some additional resources to kind of build that out. Um, so you know it's one of the challenges of having these decentralized contributors uh, that maybe don't have as much awareness of the core protocol. Um, you know, it does slow things down, but uh, I would say limiters are probably two or three weeks away. Um, we're hoping to get them out by the end of the month. Um, so the contracts are done. The relayer stuff is, is still to be, uh, to be built. Sometimes, uh, Kane, in crypto, in DeFi, we talk about 1 billion users, right? Like we want to onboard that 1 billion users. Here's a question from Joseph Turner. What do you think the weak link or the bottleneck is to getting those 1 billion new users into DeFi, into crypto? So, you know, again, coming from a, a fiat gateway background, right? Uh, and, you know, having, having built a business that did that, the on-ramps and off-ramps are still very poor in, in a lot of places. Um, you know, we need uh, either really powerful decentralized infrastructure to, to solve this problem, or we need better integration with legacy finance or both. Um, in order to be able to onboard, you know, someone uh, who's in Southeast Asia or, you know, uh, in South America or, you know, somewhere that maybe they don't have access to like a, a brokerage account um, for equities or something like that, but wants to have you know, price exposure to, uh, you know, equities. Synthetics can solve that problem, but you have to get them into the system first. Right. right. So, you know, I think that having those those really, uh, you know, frictionless and low cost critically, you know, it has to be low cost as well on ramps and off ramps uh, is is a critical component that's not quite there yet. What are you seeing? Is there any progress on that front? You know, I've seen things from ramp, for example, um, also yeah. from from wire. Are those kind of the, the types of solutions that uh, we should be looking at for those fiat on ramps for that bridge? I think so, but you know, people forget. Uh, you know, in Australia, for example, we've got uh, I think the highest adoption of like tap, uh, but, you know, NFC-based payments, right, in the world. Uh, and like, literally, I don't even carry a wallet anymore. I never have cash. So we, you know, we forget that a lot of the world operates on cash. Like, go to Berlin, right, and everything's cash. Like, you know, you ask someone to pay with a credit card, and they're like going out the back to find the credit card machine, right? So still, you know, like, and that, that, there's a lot of places in the world that are still heavily, heavily cash-based. Uh, and so I think you still need cash, you know, actual fiat cash uh, on ramps, um, you know, particularly in, uh, in emerging markets, it's, it's critical. Um, so, you know, wire is amazing and that's great for like the US, but, you know, there's a million different ways you can get money into crypto in, in America. Um, you know, we need it for, uh, for you know, other, other markets for sure. Just an observation, it seems to be the case though, once uh, money moves into crypto, it tends to remain sticky in crypto. So I, I found myself even when, you know, uh, crashes come or, or I want to decrease my exposure to crypto native types of assets, um, I don't move to US dollars at a traditional bank account anymore. Uh, traditional bank accounts kind of suck, to be honest. Um, I moved to something like, uh, you know, a, a stable coin. 
Um, it does seem to be the case that once the money does cross the chasm and bridge to the other side, it tends to stay there. Is, are you seeing that too? I agree, but you know, again, it depends on what money we're talking about, right? Like if you're talking about, you know, your investable assets that you don't need for day to day living, then sure. Right. Um, but you know, it's not necessarily that easy, um, you know, uh, to, to turn up and buy lunch with uh, USDC. Right. Right. Um, of course, there's some places where you can. And so again, I, I think, you know, we need, uh, we need ways to kind of close the loop, right. And, and allow people to spend crypto. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of effort and time and money invested by Bitcoin maxis back in the day to try and get people to spend Bitcoin, <laughs> um, which, you know, was a bit of a, uh, a, a bit of a, you know, kind of, um, uh, foregone conclusion, right? That was not going to work out. It was just too volatile. And I think we, we know that now we understand that. Um, and so, you know, we need that next, I think a lot of people looked at that and said, oh, well, people don't really want to spend crypto, right? It's not about spending crypto. It's, you know, people want better payment mechanisms. They want better payment rails, right? They want cheaper payment rails, uh, less friction, et cetera. And so I think that we can do that. Um, and, you know, particularly with, with L2 solutions, um, you know, spending die, uh, you know, is, is something that I think is, uh, is needs to be much easier. You need to be able to spend die and SUSD and other stable coins anywhere in the world. Hold your ETH, spend your die, spend your SUSD, but hold your ETH. There you go. That's yeah. the mantra. All right. Let's do some rapid fire questions. Cause on, we have Ryan, 10 minutes can I, left. Can I hop in here with a question? do yeah 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 so for those watching on youtube you won't be able to see my face but everyone in the webinar can uh so kane we've been talking a little bit about on ramps and we've also been talking about fractured l2s right and so l2s are going to be not really all that interoperable there's going to be some friction there and so that's going to kind of fracture liquidity and we're also you just mentioned how you, we also need on ramps and there's also plans for synthetics to uh, migrate to l2s into the future to encourage trading volume and it sounds like that we can also talk about uh, on ramps directly into synthetics into their whatever uh, L2 platform that synthetics is on. So is there a potential future where there's an on ramp that goes straight from, you know, the fiat world right into the synthetics platform bypassing ether, bypassing dai, bypassing USDC and just going straight from bank to SUSDC? Uh potentially um, potentially, but I think we're still a ways away from that, right? Like I still have a, a sense that, um, you know, most on-ramps are going to go via ETH, um, you know, and, and there will be versions of ETH on these L2, uh, you know, shards as well, these L2 chains. So, um, so I think that, you know, uh, some kind of tokenized ETH, uh, that's, you know, low cost to get access to is still pretty likely. Um, but you know, it could be DAI, it could be SUSD, it, it could be even, you know, USDC or, or one of the other stable coins. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things about synthetics is that we've got, uh, you know, other, uh, denominations of, uh, of stable coins as well. Right. And you can convert between them pretty frictionlessly. So, you know, if you, uh, you know, want to get in with Euro or, you know, or something like that, then, uh, you know, you've got access to that. So I think that that is something that, again, you know, we need the infrastructure side as well. Um, L2 helps. Um, but it's the actual like on the ground infrastructure that's missing uh, right now. All right. We've got a few rapid fire questions from the Bankless Nation. I want to try to fit these in in the last seven minutes here. Uh, here's one. What do you think the weak? Wait, actually, we asked that we asked that one already. If you could snap your fingers and fix a problem in the crypto space, which problem would you solve, Kane? Uh, scalability. Okay. 
How about the current incentive programs in synthetics? Um, do they meet your expectations? Do you, you plan to keep them? Or are you going to tweak them moving forward? Is the community going to tweak them moving forward when this current phase ends? So the next big incentive uh, mechanism that's coming out is around this you know, rebate uh, for integrations as well as direct trading volume. Uh, so that's something that we're, we're pretty excited about um, and I think it's going to have a, a big impact. How about gas fees? Do smaller stakers of synthetics, are they them being priced out of staking and claiming rewards? Has that had a material impact to, your, to the synthetics ecosystem so far? It has a material impact to my sleep at night. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're a small staker and you know, obviously civil attacks notwithstanding, right? If you're a small staker and have been a small staker, I wouldn't be surprised once we get you onto an L2 solution that lowers your cost, if you would not uh, expect some kind of uh, incentive or, or you know, compensation or something like that from the synthetic DAO uh, for your troubles over the last uh, three months. Who is your historical uh, historical founder that you identify most? Is it a Musk? Is it an Edison? Is it a Tesla? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Ben Horowitz. I, I love. I'm actually reading. Uh, you know what you do is who you are right now. Um, I'm I'm a really big fan. I think just his approach to uh, you know to running startups is is. Uh, not necessarily unique, but like it's it's very much his own style, and it's something that you know uh, uh, the hard thing about hard things. When I first read it, really resonated with me. I you know I I enjoy doing hard things myself. So that was a fantastic book. I that's uh, one of my favorites as well. Is Argent your favorite mobile wallet? Uh, my favorite mobile wallet. Um, it's it's up there. Um. I, you know, I like I live on desktop and I live with my Trezor. Like I don't use mobile wallets that much. Um, there's a bunch of them that, that I like, but Arjun is definitely, uh, definitely really cool. Although I saw that they're not paying for gas anymore for obvious reasons. So, uh, you know, that's not ideal, but it's just the world we live in. Maybe you should get them to move to Brooklyn with you, Kane. Working on it. Working <laughs> on it. All right. This is a fun one. Price predictions. Uh, give us your bull run price predictions for first Bitcoin, then Ether, then SNX. Uh, so Bitcoin, I think if if this is genuinely the bull run that you know we've been waiting for, uh, 50k plus is is definitely possible. Um, for ETH, uh, I don't have a, an upper limit. I don't want to look like an idiot in uh, 12 months' time. Uh, I think that you know ETH is is highly reflexive, and you know if we get some of the things that we're hoping to around L2, etc., um, you know 1400 is going to look uh, laughably uh, cheap in in the future. How about SNX? You want to do that one? Uh, I mean, six dollars was the was the meme, right? That we all like kind of laughed about back two years ago. So you know, I'm happy with six dollars. I think we we touched six dollars yesterday. I'm I'm pretty happy with that for now. Price prediction for SUSD still a dollar? I hope. If it's not a dollar, we got bigger problems. So uh, yeah, like a dollar plus or minus. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, do you see tokens? This is a question from Sid Powell. Do you see tokens in the future? more taking the form of like an equity revenue sharing in the platform or more usage utility, like paying fees in MKR. The comment is synthetics appears to be a hybrid between the two. I guess the question is, how do you see DeFi tokens in the future um, accruing value? I mean, I think, you know, there was a long time where there was no value being generated, right? Like there, you know, there were these uh, these proposed ecosystems that didn't do anything, right? Um, and I think we now have a bunch of different 
systems that actually generate um, you know, value, right? Like they provide a service and people are willing to pay for that service. And so the question of how you accrue that, whether it's a burn model, whether it's, you know, direct payment for, you know, whether it's through some kind of inflationary incentive, et cetera. Uh, I think, you know, I'm just happy that tokens are not this, you know, black mark uh, and, and, you know, this, uh, this kind of unmentionable thing anymore, right? There was a period where like, having a token was like the worst possible thing you could do. So the fact that we're back to like understanding tokens are a coordination mechanism that, you know, is really powerful. That's more than enough for me. I'm, I'm happy with that for now. All right, guys, we have two more minutes for questions. We might be able to fit in one or two. This is, this is one for me. What is your favorite DeFi collateral for synthetics besides SNX? I mean, ETH, obviously, but, you know, aside from ETH, uh, I would say uh, probably right now, REN BTC uh, is the, the thing that I'm most excited about. Um, you know, I think that that will be a thing that will happen. I mean, we like market forces to determine things. So any permissionless uh, BTC uh, implementation, so, you know, obviously TBTC being the other option, uh, we will definitely consider, and maybe both of them will be included. Um, but, you know, we need to get BTC collateral, I think, to, to pull the maxis into ETH land. Kane is ETH money. Of course, absolutely. I think I, st I think I gave it to someone, but I had ETH is money dot ETH for uh, for a while as a an ENS uh, domain, and then I gave it to someone on Twitter to use. Maybe even uh, I can't remember who it was, Scott or I don't know. Maybe you guys. I, I, I would have remember. liked to snatch that one up. Actually, a yeah, bunch of them I expired. gave it to someone. I gave it to someone. So my money is on the air. Yeah, probably yeah, Eric. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> he tries yeah, to front run everybody on those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, we've got one minute left for so it's time for our final question. And uh, Keen, thank you so much for spending some time with the Bankless Nation. Bankless Nation, thank you so much for your questions. This has been an absolute blast. We will post the recording. I think the recording actually will be auto posted on YouTube. Thanks for all of the participation. Yeah, immediately David says. So the last question is Kane. How can the Bankless Nation help synthetics? Um, I think what we need uh, is you know more people participating in governance, right? So we have this rough consensus process, um, but you know there's a lot of things that are still open questions and, and experiments that are running, and so we need more people scrutinizing you know the things that we're doing and, and participating in that governance process to ensure that we've got you know really strong checks and balances on the direction that the project's moving. Fantastic. Uh, we're getting great feedback. People are saying great AMA. Thanks to all, Kane. We want to thank you again for spending some time with us. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. This was really fun. Take care.